0: Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 66B. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing Farscape Season 3 for our wrap-up episode. Let's get started. Welcome
1: back. Season 3 is sometimes called, like, the perfect television season or the perfect Farscape television season because so many people love it to death and you know I can't really fault anyone that opinion of it because season three is really really excellent as we are trying to come up with questions you know one of the questions we've always had is like what's your hated episode of the season I was trying to think of that and I, I couldn't think of any that I actually hated or disliked there's always a lot to like about all the episodes and sure there's ones that are weaker than others but by and large we just have like a really really good season of television going on and it's so good because it's so innovative you know Mm -hmm. they do a lot of really new things here and things that weren't necessarily seen in sci-fi television before or at least not done in the way that Farscape did them like we have the whole clone uh, aspect of John being split into twins and then splitting the crew onto two ships and then you have adventures of dealing with Aaron and her past and her mom and you have the whole Talon arc and Crace, and then you have wormholes on the other side of it with John and you have John and Dargo fighting like brothers the whole time and then you have episodes that just go wild like Revenging Angel or Scratch and Sniff which are two of my favorites so it's just this really innovative season and then you have this huge emotional payoff with the whole John and Aaron story and then the whole story with Scorpius and the wormholes so there's a lot going on and they do a really good job of balancing it all.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, I'd forgotten most of Farscape when we started this project over a year ago. So coming into season three, I didn't remember a whole lot. Like, I remembered I remembered Revenging Angel once we started watching it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the cartoon episode. And I remembered that there had been a point where there were two clones. But, like, this whole season just knocked me knocked me back. It was really good. I think that the later episodes of the season are a really good explanation as to why they split the crew in half in the first place. Because instead of kind of feeling like everybody else got sidelined throughout the whole season, we felt like everybody really got their individual episodes and they each got their moments and they each got their character arcs because we had two crews, because we had episodes with one crew and then with the other. And, you know, it's a lot easier to make episodes feel balanced when you're only dealing with a crew of four or five people. Versus when you're dealing with a crew of like eight or nine people, you know. Yeah, um, I I really do think that episodes like fractures are a really good explanation why we needed to have the two crews. I also agree that I couldn't find a lot of clunkers in this season. I think that when I was thinking about that question, I kind of had to go from like what's a bad episode to like well, what's an episode that was like. A very good episode, but that I just personally didn't like for reasons. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So which one was that for you? For me, that was definitely Eat Me because I'm not a fan of horror. I'm not saying it wasn't a good episode because I think it was an excellent episode. And I think that it was very effective at what it did. And it did what it did very, very well. But I don't know. For me, I don't like horror. Um, Mm -hmm. I also thought that that Time episode one, Losing Time... The one with mm-hmm. the the creature. Again, really good episode. It wasn't something that I remembered that well. I didn't really care for it. And then I think the last one for me is The Choice. It was an excellent episode. And I think it handled Aaron's grief phenomenally. I think that in terms of Aaron, like that was one of my favorite episodes of the season. But as an overall episode, I was just kind of like, meh, on the plot of like her and her mm-hmm. mom and her fake dad. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. I agree with a lot of what you say about those, but I'm going to pick different ones just to add some variety. Sons and Lovers, which was the second episode of the season, and there's a lot of humor in there that I like, and you have this kind of budding John and Aaron stuff going on, and... There's a lot I like about it, but I think for me, what brings it down is I just never really remember it's an episode of this season. <laughs> it's kind of a Monster of the Week episode, and we have several of those during season three, but it, I don't know, it feels kind of like it just falls out of my memory. Meltdown is another one kind of like that. Uh, that's one of the Talon John episodes. I really like the John and Aaron stuff, and like the whole everyone's being affected by this drug in different ways, and a lot of that is great, but I, I felt like the... The monster of the week part, again, just kind of makes me kind of forget what's going on in that episode, and it doesn't make it very memorable. Mm-hmm. That said, when I watched them this time around, I loved both of them. You know, they were fun. They were Farscape. They were, you know, they had great little alien little moments, even if some of them were, you know, as I said, less memorable than other episodes of the season, but they were fun while I watched them. So, yeah, like you, it's like it was really not uh, Did I hate this episode. It was really... Which ones do I think were not as good as the other ones? Because season three really does elevate the game so much.
0: Yeah, there's something about watching really good television, like when it hits its stride, Do you know what I mean? And -hmm. I think that season three is usually when like a lot of shows kind of lose their stride. They lose focus a little bit. But like when you have a good writing team, when you have excellent actors that are just like they finally got like a really good handle on their characters and you've got good directors, it just all comes together to make TV that's just like brilliant to watch. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean, I think yeah. that this and Leverage, I mean, I loved Leverage season three also, and it kind of had the same feeling. When you're telling people to watch Farscape, it's like you want them to be watching these episodes, but a lot of these episodes, you can't just start them on, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they have to have those two seasons of emotional backstory in order to have the same impact.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could probably get away with skipping start parts of season one. But you still, you still need that whole Aurora chair sequence at the end of season one. You still need all of Harvey and John's development through season two. You need Aaron's son's development through both of them, you know? Mm-hmm. You, it just doesn't work without all of that. So let's switch the, switch it up. So what was your favorite episode of the season?
0: Oh man, ask me an easy one, won't you? <laughs> um, alright, I'll
1: break it into two parts. Cause what's your favorite standalone and what's your favorite arc? Oh. Or a uh, multi-parter.
0: I really liked I, Yench You, as a standalone episode. I think that that was incredibly strong because we had two characters that are technically side characters and they played front and center. And, you know, just the Scorpius-Rigel dynamic was really good to watch. It was fun. You know what I mean? Like the episode itself was a lot of fun. And it had this hard-hitting Talon stuff that we've been building up to for a couple of seasons now. For arcs, hmm, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I'm going to go with Into the Lion's Den over Infinite Possibilities, although it's really close. And I think that if you ask me in an hour, I might say (laughs) Possibilities (laughs) over Into the Lion's Den.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for my favorite standalone, I had this I for me, it was. There, I came down to three different destinations: Scratch and Sniff and Revenging Angel. And I think I'm going to go with different destinations. And it's because it's one of it's. They're just coming off of Zan's death. Zan's death. It's super layered with like all this extra meaning. I remember we talked about this, and we like kept watching the time as we record the episode, and we're like, but we haven't talked about this metaphor yet. You know, it was just so. There's so much going on with that episode. And I mean, I think that's why I like Revenging Angel and Scratch and Sniff as well. There's a lot layered into it. And as I said when I, in my intro, it's just like the innovation that these three episodes really brought to Farscape in the season really just elevates them above and beyond. Yeah. For for my favorite multi-parter, I think I actually agree. I like Into the Lion's done more than Infinite Possibilities. And I think I like it because it's got a happier ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like John's death and infinite possibilities just breaks me every single time. And I just, I don't, I I just don't like it when people die. And, and it's noble and Rigel especially has some really great moments and I love to pieces. So yeah, it's really close, but I really like kind of the triumphant, they get away with it, and into the lion's den, and then praise the sacrifice just gets me, and Talon's sacrifice just gets me every single time.
0: Yeah, I think that you're right. Like, I, I think that the only reason, because <laughs> when you mentioned furlough, I'm like, oh yeah, furlough, I love her, and you know, like Rigel, and you know, everything, like Infinite Possibilities is just so good. But I think that there's something about John finally getting one up on Scorpius. Do you know what yeah. I mean that's like it's yeah. really emotionally satisfying yeah, know, like a really gut way and oh oh my gosh Scratch and Sniff is such a favorite episode of mine too I, I just love the storytelling aspect of it and the editing I think the editing is brilliant I think that the, the way they scripted it was so smart and it really had I, I think that Scratch and Sniff arguably is kind of the first real Jewel and Chiana are friends episode of the season you know what yeah. I mean because by yeah. the end of the season, we see them, you know, hug, hugging each other, and Jewel is comforting Chiana, and you know, they're talking about what they should wear, and you know, <laughs> so it's it it really does feel like Scratch and Sniff kind of is like the first moment where they're not like at each other's throats,
1: mm-hmm. you know. So that's where John and Dargo is like the central point of where they are with their relationship, where they've been they've been kicked off because they've been fighting and bickering so much that Pilot can't and Moya can't stand it anymore, and of course, it all comes to a head in Revenging Angel. But I don't know. There's just something so perfect about the two of them in that episode as well Mm -hmm. and their friendship being still being friends while still kind of being completely annoyed with each other 100% of the time.
0: Oh, yeah. And on that note, we actually got a question earlier in the season on Twitter, and that was, which did you prefer? Did you prefer the Talon John plotline or the Moya John plotline?
1: So I'm like in the minority, I think, because I prefer Moya John. And I think it's because of the whole he's left behind by Aaron part of it, which I really identified with for a very long time and still kind of do. It's just like I always felt like that's the person left behind. The other part of it is I like the episodes overall of the Moya John stories better. Like it has Scratch and Sniff, it has Revenging Angel. Losing Time is one of the weaker episodes, but I still like it because it's really Chiana's episode. She didn't, doesn't actually have very many episodes this season. So I kind of like the stories they were telling with Moya John better than Mm -hmm. I did the ones they were telling with Talon John, even though I really like those episodes, too.
0: Yeah. I think that for me, it's really hard because I like the episodes from the Moya John plotline more. All of my favorite episodes from that period of time are from the Moya John plotline. But I think that the Talon John just had a much stronger arc And he also, it also gave Aaron a lot more interesting plot. So I feel Mm -hmm. like for me, it's Talon, John. That's only because he gets a good arc. Aaron gets a good arc. And Kreis gets a good arc. And also Stark kind of like devolves, you know, and it, and and that really is kind of, I don't know how it feels to be grieving somebody, you know, Stark's grief felt fairly accurate to me. Yeah. So
1: especially for someone who doesn't handle emotions well, because he's Always handling death, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean that moment yeah. from different destinations, which wasn't a favorite of mine, but I mean that I think that stark really stood out for that moment in different destinations, yeah, but again, yeah. this is like one of those questions that's kind of like, <laughs> do you like apples more or oranges, and like I can tell you <laughs> that i'm right now I'm hungry for oranges, but like ask me in an hour, and I will be biting into a sweet delicious, yeah, you know? and I
1: think I think your point about the arcs is really good because. I think for me, what stands out is less John's arc than Aaron's arc in the Talon, Talon episodes because Aaron's is so strong. It goes back to her mother. It goes back to getting together with John. the two of them making choices, but it's really Aaron making the choice because look at Green-Eyed Monster, right? It's a quadrangle. I love quadrangle, except Grace isn't really in it, even though that's the kind of the, the mislead that Talon gives you. And so Aaron has to choose between staying loyal to Talon and John's life, and she chooses John. And that feels so much more like a, an Aaron moment. And then her speech at the end, which is so great, you know, like, John Crichton, you ruined my life, and I still come back for more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it seems so much more of an Aaron story in a lot of ways than a John story, even though John has that incredible arc of like going through the infinite possibilities where, okay, wormholes, we have to save the universe because the Scarens cannot get their hands on these things because what they are they're too powerful for anybody to have. And that you have to have that story in order for the whole season to make sense. Yeah. You have to have both of those stories for the whole season to make sense.
0: Yeah. So who was your favorite character this season?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think you got to pick Aaron last, last time we did a wrap-up, so I'm going to pick Aaron for this time around <laughs> and you can figure out who the runner-up is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Aaron said so much this season, so much. Because again, it's like her growth. We talked about her how she grew so much in season one, and how she grew even more in season two, and figuring out where she wanted to be with her love for John. And then you have season three, where she finally is like secure in herself enough and secure in John enough to follow through and open herself up to him and then lose him and then go through that whole scene at the end of dog with two bones which is just like wrenching mm-hmm. you know but probably one of the best scenes of the entire run of farscape like hands down the two when john says i'm going with you and she says no and then they have the coin flip and everything and it's just like it's so raw and it's so i don't know it feels so true to Aaron and yeah, there are parts of the choice that I that I didn't like, but you're so spot on the choice for Aaron and her grief and what she goes through in that episode. is just incredible, you mm-hmm. know, so I get to pick Aaron this time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. All right. So then the runner up for me. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like it kind of goes back and forth between Krace and John. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Crace only because this is his last season, so you have to give it to him. It's like the Emmys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's their last season. You have to give them an Emmy. Um, yeah. And that's and just because, like I said, I think that most Kreis character development has been off screen. I think that it kind of feels to me a lot like... Like you're seeing snippets from somebody, you know, it's like watching somebody else's home videos where you get a very clear picture of what their life was like during the 10 minutes or whatever that you're seeing them. And then the next one, it jumps and they're, you know, in college. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And that's kind of what it feels like for Chris. It's like we saw snippets of his life. And then in season three, we really kind of saw the effects that the snippets we saw in season two had on who he currently is. And actually, I mean, I think... Maybe it is because, you know, most of his interesting stuff happens at the very, very end of this season. But a lot of our Twitter and, you know, questions were kind of about Kreis this year, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: So one question we got from Jason on Twitter was Kreis' sacrifice affected by Talon Johns. He says, on my last rewatch of the show a few months ago, I realized that Kreis' sacrifice of his long of his life, along with Talad, may have been inspired by the same sacrifice he watched Talon John make in Daedalus Demands. Prior to that episode, Krace goes from being not fond of John, he was okay with him being left in the Boudong and Green-Eyed Monster, to arguing with John about his motives in the Pina Colada episode, Relativity. It's clear Krace doesn't like or trust John, which I think changes after John allows himself to die to save them and the rest of the universe from the Skarens getting the wormhole tech.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I think that I, I think that arguably he very much was affected by by Talon John's sacrifice I think that when he saw what Talon John was willing to do to make sure that nobody got wormhole tech that he kind of a lot of things came together in Crace's mind and I think that Crace in the episode he he almost considers you know him committing death by Talon to be self-serving or selfish. In, at least that's how it read to me in some of his phrasing. Because like when he's talking to Aaron and John in that ch- in that chamber, you know, he says, I've lost my parents, I've lost my brother, I've lost my command. And now I'm just doing things that um, are important to me and that I want to do. And I'm doing them for my own reasons. And I'm not alone in doing that. Which means that him deciding to commit death via Talon, you know, to sacrifice himself in order to make sure that nobody gets wormhole tech... He considered it self-serving in some way, you know, Mm -hmm. at least to me, that's how it read. And and so I think that maybe, you know, he kind of saw John's death and John's meaningful death as kind of like, that's the best death you could ask for, you know. Yeah. Rather than like running and, and hiding for the rest of his life.
1: Yeah. And I can definitely see him being influenced by it because you can tell at the end of Daedalus Demands when in that death scene with John, you know, John says, take care of them to Crace," you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, I can't be there anymore. You have to take care of them and make sure that things are going to be okay. And, you know, even if you don't like the guy, that's still a really big, heavy thing to be given, mm-hmm. this responsibility. And yes, he is justifying itself and maybe he, you know, and those are all good reasons for him to commit suicide by Talon and take the command carrier with him. But I can't help but think that even subconsciously, there's a little bit of this is a really important deal. And he even says it. no one should have those weapons, Mm -hmm. that it is worth considering death and going through with it, inspired by John willing to do the same and saying, you have to make sure that my sacrifice is worth it. You know, yeah, that means putting your life down on the line to make sure that my death was worth it. So I could definitely see an argument for that.
0: That's an excellent point. Yeah, I, I guess that when you frame it like that, as Chris kind of having to look at it as like, talon you know this death that was really important to him because clearly he was very moved by john's death you know he wasn't just kind of like you know rigel season one of like okay well i get your boots you know (laughs) um the knowledge that craze has that he has the only way to destroy the command carrier and that talon john's death would mean nothing aaron's grief would mean nothing you know craze's own grief would mean nothing if scorpius gets the wormholes
1: Yeah. And the other thing about Krace is that even though he doesn't want you to think he cares, he's clearly a man who feels deeply, you know? I mean, he went off his rocker when his brother died. That Mm -hmm. is not someone that doesn't care deeply and that can separate himself emotionally like good peacekeepers are supposed to do. And I think... You know, living with people, even if you don't like them, you know, you still get to know them in a way you don't otherwise know them even better than people who are friends with them and don't live with them, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's there's still connection there, whether Crace wants it to be or not. And clearly he wants a connection with Aaron, but John, he doesn't like doesn't want to have a connection with. But I think it's there nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think that Chris is kind of one of those characters that, yeah, he's super sketchy and skeevy in season one and two. And I think in season three, they just really develop him a lot more. In season two, there is some argument to be made that Chris is like not 100% above board and that he does things kind of to like get closer to Aaron in like a sketchy way. But I, I think that in season three, I, I just really see him as a different person. You know, I, I really see him as a changed person. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't seem to be interested in Aaron anymore in that way. And in fact, he really just does seem to want to have somebody else to help bear the load of Talon, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I I actually agree with that. And I think Green-Eyed Monster is actually a very misleading episode because, you know, it's played as a love triangle between John and Aaron and Krace, where Krace wants Aaron all to himself and away from John. When the twist of the episode is that it's Talon who wants that. Talon wants all of atten- Aaron's attention on him and with Kreis to make his happy family as opposed to with John, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I can see where, you know, that leaves a, an ambiguity of what does Kreis really want here? And when it comes to Aaron, what we find out in, in Green-Eyed Monster is that he, that Talon is hurting him and he needs help. Mm-hmm. Like he's asking Aaron for help because he trusts her to help him for Talon's sake. And it kind of goes back to, to the metaphor we've been making between Kreis and Aaron as being Talon's estranged co-parents, mm-hmm. where he is asking for Aaron's help, I think, more out of a, a desire to help Talon as opposed to a desire of wanting Aaron for himself. It's just he stops giving off like the skeevy double innuendo you know, towards the back half of the season, and it really is more about looking out for Aaron and Talon as opposed to trying to get Aaron.
0: Yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, who was your favorite underdog MVP of the season?
1: Underdog MVP of the season. Oh my goodness, there's so many to choose from. I think Dargo might be mine, mm-hmm. and that's because he gets his own little ship thing going on. He has such great chemistry with John. You know, he's working things out with Chiana in that they're not together anymore and they're still really broken up, but they're kind of still there for each other in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I just really like his whole arc with his ship. You know, basically he has this lump that he goes and sits in and he doesn't really know what's going on with it. And <laughs> slowly he's uncovering this mystery. So Dargo gets his own little project. And uh, yeah, and I, I also kind of want to sneak Jewel in there a little bit, though mm-hmm. I think she had less to work with. But I kind of like Jewel a lot, too.
0: <laughs> yeah I'll go with you on Jewel I liked Jewel a lot I think that for me Rigel and Chiana I think they were our MVPs last season too but yeah I think that this season there were so many episodes of Chiana being the only adult in the room or <laughs> Rigel being the only adult in the room this is true know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like ah love you my like my mm-hmm. my like, stealing buddies <laughs>
1: yeah my, like little
0: thievery buddies <laughs>
1: because it's like this reversal for Chiana, right? Because before it was her being like the little little kid and everyone else was being big brother or big sister. And here, Jewel is the one freaking out all the time and Chiana's the one who's like, "No, come on. We got to go fix this thing." Mm-hmm. And Rigel, uh, I just want to shout out again that that even though Rigel's the one who kind of screws up by trusting um what's her name in uh Fractures, mm-hmm. the other Hynerian, and but they all go rescue him, you know? It's like you know, Rigel has betrayed them so many times. And this time it wasn't even his fault. And they go rescue him anyway. And it's just like, oh, they all love Rigel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll totally agree with that. Yeah. Oh, Rigel. Love you, buddy. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite plot lines this season was the Zalek soon Aaron plot line. And I think that what I really liked there is, number one, it's a plot line that we didn't see very much. But number two, after it kind of – in the middle and after it finished, we really got to see Aaron's family supporting her. Like, she's built this family around her of, you know, Rigel and John – and Stark, I mean, like Stark is kind of like eh, creepy, but um, and then Crace and, you know, Talon and like everybody was really supporting her through this mm-hmm. whole plot. And even though it ended in like an episode that wasn't a favorite of mine, it all again, like wasn't a bad episode. It was like still a very good episode. <laughs> and like it just feels, yeah. I-, I don't know, like that whole plot line ending with, you know, Aaron trying to rescue her own mother. I think it's just something we don't see a lot on TV. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a plot line. Mother daughters. Yeah. Because usually if we have a mother plot line, it's like working mom doesn't know how to balance her, you know, home life and yeah. her job. And in this case, it was... Or she's p- dead. Yeah. Or she's <laughs> dead. Or the mother is dead. You know, and that's it. Or the mother is like kind of a doormat and just like the emotional, you know, like the emotional pillow that the main character goes to in times of need, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I really like that about the Zalex soon because Zalex is the soldier. She's the one pursuing them. She's the one who is forced to make these horrible choices that shaped her life and that Aaron escaped having to make but are still affected by. And the scenes in Relativity, I think, really epitomize what I love about the two of them Mm -hmm. where Aaron's like, you know, you coming to see me when I was a child, which got you caught and in trouble and shaped your life in this really horrible, negative way, shaped my life in this really positive way and allowed me to kind of take that risk to step out and join this crew of Moya as a as a full person. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of like that divergent mo- moment for both of them. I don't know, there's something storytelling wise that's really poetic about it. Like Mm -hmm. they are both shaped by this moment and the immediate consequences are where she has to choose between killing her lover or killing her child. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this really twisted love that still exists that Salek still has for Aaron. And Aaron still wanting to reach out despite this woman trying to kill her because she's her mother. Yeah. I just love it. And it's it's the kind of it's the kind of plot line you would get for a male character and his father. But mm-hmm. you don't ever really see it for women and their mothers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I think that's also the payoff in having Aaron be the soldier and John be the scientist slash emotional one. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: I-, I will say the two thousand three Battlestar Galactica does something a little similar with Starbuck and her mom. So mm-hmm. I guess that would be the other example, which also is well done. Yeah. But um
0: But Farscape did it first. <laughs> but Farscape
1: did it first.
0: <laughs> Whatever.
1: Battlestar Galactica was mostly good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked it up until I think like the last the season last was kinda, half. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I literally for Battlestar Galactica, my my dad bought it for me for Christmas one year, like the first three seasons on DVD. And like yeah. we marathoned it before marathoning was a thing. You know, like we literally like spent like several weekends just like watching Ballester Galactica. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Aaron and her relationships, we got another comment from Mark and it was an email and he said, I would like it if you could discuss the relationship between Aaron and Henta. Two or three years ago, I was reading an episode by episode review of Farscape Online and disagreed with one of the website hosts about the nature of the relationship between Aaron and Henta. He said that they had a lesbian relationship. It was an LGBTQ website. I disagreed. I thought they were just good friends and that Henta was so pro peacekeeper. She couldn't understand how Aaron could take the road she did. So what do you gals think? Were Aaron and Henta more than friends? Thanks. So there's a couple ways I want to approach this. And one is
1: I am a full believer in subtext and shipping what you want to ship out there. So Mm -hmm. if you are one of those people who thinks they were in a lesbian relationship, because I think that could be interpreted from it. Yes, go ahead. Do that. I think that is 100% great and fine. But I also think the text could also support them being just very good friends. And that's actually how I read it. And the thing that I like about reading it that way is I think it puts a really strong value on friendship. And that is a, kind of one of my pet peeves of mine in, in fandom. Is like ship or go home and like friendships don't exist. And I'm like, no, friendships do exist. They're like been some of my major relationships in my life have been friendships. I think they are good friends. I think they grew up together. I think they're like sisters. Like they grew up in the barracks. They probably had cots next to each other. They trained together. They went through training together. They both prow- prowler pilots together. You know, they clearly spent their off time together There was this really strong bond between them. And whether it's sexual or not, that part almost doesn't matter. It's like how I ship Jim Kirk and Bones. Like, it doesn't matter if they sleep together or not. They are still, like, always going to be glued to each other, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it has to be a lesbian relationship for the relationship to be as strong as it is. And I think... The thing with Henta is like she's in the, in the recreation hall when she first sees Aaron again and throws that drink in her face. And she's also performing for an audience. And I think you really see the strength of, relation, of their relationship come out later when they're by themselves and not on display. They're not performing where she can finally say, what is going on with you? You went crazy and left the peacekeepers who are, of course, like our home. And Aaron gets a chance to explain, even though Henta never gets it. But I think that's what I really love about their friendship is that she does give Aaron the space to try and talk it out. And I think it doesn't matter if they're in a sexual relationship for that or not.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with you that I think that a lot of times in fandom, and I think that you and I are definitely coming at this from like the fandom, you know, fanfic perspective, there is kind of a preference put on sexual relationships. And I'm like, to be honest, for women, especially emotion, like emotional friendships, tend to, like, fill in a lot of those gaps. You know what I mean? And they tend to be just as intense as sexual relationships. Like, if you've ever talked to a woman about, like, a friendship having broken up, it still feels raw. You know what I mean? For, like, a lot of people. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. feels just as intense as breaking up with a sexual partner. Um, I agree with you. Headcanon is headcanon. If you saw it and you want to say, you know, they sure they were having, you know, they were in a lesbian relationship. That's great. I think that on screen, I saw a friendship. But on the other hand, I do want to point this out. Farskip was made in the early thousands. It is an incredibly heteronormative TV show. I think that it has done enough things like laughing at a character that technically wasn't trans, but like the joke was kind of like, ha ha, they don't are gender nonconforming, you know, according to you know, earth genders, essentially, like, that's the joke. And additionally, I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler, but while Bracca and Scorpius' relationship clearly has, like, you know, kind of BDSM, like, master-servant dynamics.
1: And that we joke about them being together all the time because we ship it.
0: (laughs) But at the same time, it's still kind of canonically, like, that's still treated somewhat as a joke and also as, like, not canon like wink wink nudge nudge they're not gay for each other you know mm-hmm. like like I said I think that you can read it either way I think that hopefully if Farscape was made today we would have more canonically gay or lesbian or just gender nonconforming conforming characters and that would in itself make perhaps Henta and Aaron's relationship clearer as to whether or not it was a friendship or explicitly you know lesbian
1: yeah So since we brought them up, um, let's pivot to Scorpius and Bracca. And I guess maybe Scorpius and their plot line kind of on their own because they're on the command carrier and building the whole wormhole tech. And we get to see bits of that in Incubator. I still kind of ship Bracca and Scorpius. And even though I definitely agree with you and what you said, it's just like, you know, it's not meant to be that way by the writers. The writers are definitely playing it like, you know the villain and his minion and the minion who is willing to do anything to serve his his master so like the, the hufflepuff if you will right <laughs> <laughs> the hufflepuff dar- death eater
0: okay i need um, to i need you to understand that you just implied that Bracca is a hufflepuff yes he's super loyal that's like their defining trait <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love it Yeah, uh, I think that what really worked for me this season was that it kind of does go beyond Bracca just being, you know, the minion, you know, he gets to in some ways, he gets to prove his loyalty to Scorpius, you know, like an incubator, when he does what he understands Scorpius would like him to do. He also gets to really hear from Scorpius why they're doing what they're doing. And why what they're doing is so important. And I think that for me, a lot of what he's doing really works. And like we said, although canonically, we're supposed to be like, oh, they're very straight. I'm like, in a modern lens, it's very hard to watch this and not be like, both of them are getting off on this power dynamic. You know, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, because it's totally about the power, and you can see that when Bracca is like enforcing other people to do what Scorpius wants, you know, mm-hmm. or like in Incubator when you know the the cocky pilot is like, "Oh, I can fly through a wormhole, no problem," and what are we wasting all our time doing all this testing for? And Scorpius is like, "Okay, you go."
0: I think he's like Lieutenant Bracca will insist or something yes. like that. Yeah, there I'm you like, go. That's, that's what it was, uh, and it's just yes. like.
1: The power plays that happen in the Peacekeepers, it's just, it's very tropey, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the the military power dynamics that are going on. So I think that that's part of what is really fascinating to watch for me. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing about it all is that you have, you have... Scorpius kind of doing his stuff independently and not interacting with John Crichton very much because they're really... You have them in uh, Season of Death, the first episode, where you have Scorpius and everybody Mm -hmm. on the Peacekeeper side, you know, trying to get away from Moya's crew, and then they fake their own death, right? Mm -hmm. They have the shuttle, another pilot who goes to his death, who thinks he can run the gauntlet of Talon's weapons. Then we'd have Scorpius working on the command carrier, and then we have Scorpius finally at the end when they figure out he's alive, and then they're going into his command carrier. Yeah. So John and Scorpius don't actually interact really until the end of the season, and in person. And everything else up to then is John and Harvey, or Scorpius and Chip John. Yeah. From the from the neuro trip, and it's just a really interesting way to keep two main characters in tension with each other without actually having the two characters interact, because that would force like one of them to be making mistakes all the time.
0: Yeah. Really, what we see in this in the season finale is how much their relationship has changed because when they first met in the nerve and the hidden memory, what we really saw was John being caught off guard by this much more powerful villain. And then in into the lion's Den, we finally get to see John having some power and even though arguably, I'm still like, what was his plan? Like, how did he sell his friends on this? Because this is not a plan. At the same time, in the end, via Crace, John pulls one over on Scorpius. John ends Mm -hmm. up winning, you know, which is satisfying. And, and I think that it really is a nice, is a nice kind of, I don't want to say closing point, but it feels like their arc has changed at that moment. Mm -hmm.
1: It's shifted dramatically. Cause in, in that scene where, where, where Chris is making his big speech John is just sitting there staring at Scorpius waiting for him to catch on what's going on Mm -hmm. and it's just this great little I know what's gonna happen and you are in big trouble right here and Scorpius doesn't know it yet and he doesn't realize what's going on it's just this really really great moment yeah and then it all comes crashing down around him ah anyway I I think You're right. It's like this great emotional catharsis that we finally get after, you know, the trauma of the season two finale. You know, Mm -hmm. Dimey Dichotomy is a vicious, vicious episode. One of Farscape's best, I will argue, but also emotionally just destroys the viewers because
0: of how completely Scorpius owns John. And I think that one of the interesting relationships that develops the season is still Wayne Pigram, but it's Harvey and John. You know, and I think that the way that Harvey and John's relationship develops is so different from how Scorpius and John's relationship develops. And in some ways it's related in, in the sense that I think it is only with Harvey's support that John actually is able to get one over on Scorpius.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also survive some of the other encounters like, you know, different destinations and a few other instances where Harvey is instrumental for helping John survive. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scratch and Sniff is another one. And I just love Harvey. Like Harvey is one of my favorite characters of all time also because I just love the creativity they do when they have him in John's head, you know, that World War II theme that they have going on. And then, you know, they're playing all sorts of go fish and games while these mortars are going off all around them. It's just really creative how they make use of Harvey and his interactions with with John and the environment.
0: Mm -hmm. What's really key about Harvey is kind of the role he ends up playing. In some ways, what they do in early season one, uh, Battlestar Galactica with Baltar and him seeing the Cylon in his head, it reminded me of that. But I think that kind of the role that score, the role that Harvey comes to represent for John is actually just somebody else in his head. To like bounce things off of that, even though Mm -hmm. he realizes it makes him insane to be talking to and fantasizing about another person in his head. At the same time, John is so lost and he's so alone still, even with, you know, kind of all that's been all that's happened to him all these years. You know, he's so lost and alone that having like another person who is in his head and wants the best for him because it's like Harvey's home as well. Mm-hmm. I think that that does give John like a safety net that he doesn't necessarily have. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think you will notice that Tal and John does not deal with Harvey as much as Moya John does. And so I think that in that ways, Harvey really is kind of like a safety blanket, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is aligned with John. He wants to survive. So then he's willing to invest in John's survival. And he's like the little angel or devil on your shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, is like giving advice and it takes a while for John to kind of trust it, but the, you know, his subconscious calls him in different, different destinations and his subconscious is asking for, for Harvey's help. And then John is explicitly asking for Harvey's help. Mm-hmm. And it's because in the, and the power dynamic is so different from in season two, when, when Harvey on the neuro trip was in control yeah, and here it's the neural bleed and John, you know, Season of Death, that first episode, when he has that very satisfying throwing Harvey in the dumpster. Mm -hmm. John is in control of Harvey here. And so it's another kind of master-servant
0: dynamic a little bit, except Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that what's interesting is that Harvey still is a unique character, which is something we see in Revenging Angel, like where Mm -hmm. even though technically he's acquired so many of John's mannerisms and habits and earthisms, At the same time, like, he knows who Kirk is, and he can talk about Kirk. You know, he and John have, like, a Star Trek, like, nerdy conversation about Kirk, but at the same time, he's still different from John, you know what I mean? In that he doesn't Mm -hmm. understand what Kirk means to John. Do you know what I mean? Right.
1: Right. And the whole, you know, Revenging Angel is all about Harvey misunderstanding what motivates John. Yeah. You know? And why he wants to live. Yeah. Yeah. So, still a super fascinating character, and I, yeah, keep keep on the lookout for him moving forward, too.
0: So, we got one more comment via email. Hey, ladies, my name is Jenna, and I wanted to share my opinion of Farscape Season 3 with you. My favorite character is Chiana, and throughout the series and PK Wars, I love the way her character develops. However, I view this season as a heartbreaking one. First, you have the Chiana, Jothi, and Dargo thing. Then you have Xan's death, and to top it all off with Crace and Talon. I think that this season showed a lot of growth for Aaron, especially after the Crichton split. I know the finale isn't out yet, but I gotta say, that coin flip and Naranti whispering in John's ear at the end is a big holy shit moment for me. I've been watching since I was 11, while the early season two was still airing on the sci-fi, and Gigi Edgley was my first celebrity crush. By the end of PK Wars, I was still convinced Chiana was my dream woman.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love Chiana, and I'm totally with you. She is awesome like I don't, I don't know if you remember us squeeing over when she first arrived but that feeling hasn't gone away and it's just she's still so fantastic to watch and you know one thing i like about Chiana is she doesn't like, have a whole lot to do this season and she's got these a lot of really great moments but her one episode is really losing time when she gets like the, the vision ability. Mm-hmm. And I really love that development for her. And I was completely obsessed with it when I first watched the show for some reason. I don't know. It's just, I love the precog. You know, I just love how that develops and it gives Chiana this extra dynamic of I don't know what's going to go wrong, but something's going to go wrong. And I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, but I have a few pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. I just love that aspect that's brought to her character with this change that she's gone through.
0: Yeah. I I will agree. Like I said, Chiana was my MVP of the season. I think that she especially is just such a huge good supporting character this season. But I think that when you compare where she started in season one, you know, just the character she was in season one to like the character she is now, it's just such huge growth. And, you know, usually, to be honest, we don't see that happen with side characters You know, Mm -hmm. like in a lot of TV shows, the main characters, sure, they get growth, but like side characters are kind of in stasis. They're the same people they were at the beginning and end of the series, you know? Yeah. I mean, a part of that is just that they give her a lot of room to breathe in her interactions. And oh, my gosh, Gigi Edgley just like kills (laughs) every scene, like in Eat Me. You know, that whole scene where she's like, you know, where she's trying to convince herself that it wasn't her, you know, that it was the clone. Oh, yeah. Like, oof, so good. Like, she's just such a talented actress. And I mean, I love that you're pointing out the Chiana Jothi Dargo thing from the beginning of the season, because like, it seems so far away now. But at the time, it was just really interesting to kind of see how Chiana was dealing with her first adult relationship and how like... Dargo was also kind of trying to deal with his first relationship after his wife and how neither of them were handling it super well
1: Mm -hmm. yeah the season changes so much from wrapping up those season two ends and another one of those that you that was brought up is Zan's death which happens in self-inflicted wounds really early in the season and it's brutal I mean it's like a willing sacrifice again I mean The first episode of this season is titled Season of Death, and it's very true for this season. But the other thing it might have should have been called is Season of Sacrifice, Mm. because not just... They don't just die like Xan and John and Crace. They don't just die. They all sacrifice themselves for everybody else oh, yeah. in these really gutting episodes and these really like big hero moments, you know, they're not just like one off or something. They're like have these noble sacrifices that are for love and for strength and for the universe, you know. Mm-hmm killer theme.
0: Yeah. Literally. And I mean, I think you're making a good point about their deaths having meaning, because I think that these are, I think that especially Kreis and Zan, their deaths would have easily been, like, they could have easily been just fridged. You know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're just gonna, like, some random peacekeeper is going to randomly shoot shoot Zan and, you know, that's how she's going to die. Or, you know, Krace might die in the final assault, but, you know, because he was also fighting alongside them. But I think both of the fact that both of these characters went into it knowing that they were making a sacrifice. I think that that's what makes a difference in this season is that Farscape is kind of like, we know you care about these characters. We care about them too. We're not just going to kill anybody randomly. Like everybody is going to have, some agency in their own in their own death
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it kind of made me think of this quote from furlough in infinite possibilities you know the hero always dies while i run away Mm -hmm. and it really brings home that the three of them are heroes yeah they are making that sacrifice for everyone else and it's just uh it is it is a lot in this season going on
0: Speaking of Grace and his death at the end of the season, we had one more question, and that was from my husband and He wanted to know if Cra would have, still would have sacrificed himself if they hadn't made the decision to blow up the command carrier in the first place, like if the d- their decision to blow up the command carrier was the only reason Talon and Grace both died essentially
1: that is a good question I don't know. They had to destroy the wormhole technology through destroying the command carrier. And the only way to do that was with Krace and Talon, right? Mm-hmm. And if they could have done it with the armory, for instance, what would have happened to Krace and Talon in that case? Like, they're still, the ship still would have been de- being destroyed. Would they have just flown away? Mm-hmm. Was Krace serious about having Talon's weapons removed and going through all the surgery where they're going to hopefully you know, go through Talon's lobotomy before they blew up the armory to destroy it all and then he would go off with an altered Talon? Mm -hmm. Maybe. He might very well have followed that plan. But at the same time, that would have been a tragedy too because Talon's whole story is a tragedy of this young ship given way too much power and a paranoid personality and a very difficult, you know, growing up and keeps shooting people that shouldn't be shot, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I... So I don't know, maybe the will, because the will to live is strong, right? Yeah. Kreis has shown us that too, with his willingness to run away rather than be executed.
0: Yeah. I guess that, I think that for me, what this question kind of gets at is that I think that it was the fact that they were going to blow up the command carrier at all that really caused Kreis to make the decision to Mm -hmm. sacrifice himself and Talon. Because if they weren't going to blow up, The command carrier, if there was a way of destroying the wormhole knowledge without blowing up the command carrier, would he have still ended up sacrificing himself? I think that maybe. I don't know. I think that Talon's death kind of became inevitable once they had to alter his personality. Do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Because, like, and then once they started it, because, like I said, you know, at this point, at the end of the season, when Chris, you know, kind of goes to Talon, Talon doesn't have weapons. But he still kind of has this really fractured personality, you know, and he's still very lost. And so when with the worm, with the command carrier being destroyed, Kreis loses all hope of healing Talon. And so I think that that's kind of what ends up causing both of their death is the lack of hope, is a loss of mm-hmm. possibility, you know?
1: Yeah. Every avenue has been closed off to them with, with Talon and having to go through this change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good hard question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is to that.
0: Yeah. But yeah. So um, overall, what would you give this season?
1: A five or a six, you know, up there <laughs> on the scale. It's a blowout. I often say, and I think I did say this, like season two is one of my favorite seasons. And season three, watching it again, reminded me that season three is also one of my favorite seasons. And I think it's kind of, I love, I love all of it. Like they're just two amazing seasons of television and season three is incredible. Yeah. And I think rewatching it, I really appreciated a season without any bad episodes with some really amazing character growth on the part of Aaron and John and John and Grace and Talon and Jewel, who's really great. And, you know, and having Chiana and Rigel, as you say, having these really awesome MVP moments and Dargo getting his old mini, whole mini arc. And then it's just gutting in so many ways but at the same time, you know, we end on a on a cliffhanger. But you know, we talked about this in the Dog with Two Bones episode. It's not like a devastating episode, though. Yeah. Except for that scene with with John and Aaron, which just packs an emotional punch like no other. But it's it's not like Diney Dichotomy where it's just a downer.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with you there. I think that there's something to be said for a strong season. Like I said, strong writing, excellent acting, great directing. You know, just overall, every part of this was really well done. I mean, there were some, uh, like I said, if you listen to us, like there was obviously <laughs> some stuff we didn't like, but at the same time, I mean, like I, I can't think of an episode that I hated, you know, I can't think yeah, of an episode I would, that I was, la- that I would say, oh, you can cut this out and the season will be the same.
1: You know, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was looking through the episode list because we obviously have our questions beforehand. And it's like, no, there, there's none, none that I would take out for the yeah. season. Yeah.
0: So we are super sorry, listeners, but we have to take a month off. Um, <laughs> podcast takes a lot of time to make and we want a break so that we come back to season four refreshed and ready to give you guys awesome rewatch commentary. Farscape Friday podcast will
1: resume with season four, episode one, Crichton Kicks on November 10th. So mark your calendars.
0: Mark your calendars. Don't unsubscribe. We're still going to be here and tell your friends about us. We want to. They have a month
1: to catch up. So (laughs) great for them, right?
0: (laughs) All right. Have a wonderful October, everybody.
1: And we will see you in one month.
0: Bye. Bye.